Arbor Day takes a turn for the worst as logic goes right out the window. This week on Rebooted. Rebooted, the podcast where we were recasting classic movie reboots so Hollywood doesn't have to do it. This week, we put on our hazmat suits and deep dive into 2008's The Happening, starring Mark Wahlberg, Zoe Deschanel, and John Leguizamo. Uh, I'll say this about this movie. It really uh, was very prescient about social distancing. Yes. <laughs> um... So that's one moral that we've learned from this movie. Here's the thing. I want you to prepare your heart and your soul because I think I, I, I'll say this. I don't like this movie, but I may have some hot takes. I can't wait on it. <laughs> a toxin dissipates quickly in the air. They're only potent in a certain density. The source had to be close to that field, if not in the field. Here's one. Plants have a chemistry to do this. They release co-transporters into the air. I think it could be plants. I don't know. But if it is and people are setting it off in groups, we need to go to the least populated place we can to be safe. We can't walk to the borders where this isn't happening, Alma. It's too far. Whatever it is, terrorists, a nuclear leak, plants, it's probably safe to get away from people right now. Never in my wildest dreams did I think we would ever do this stupid movie, but... That's the world we live in now, I guess. So here's the deal. Obviously, the world is in quarantine and dealing with mm -hmm. this pandemic. So we wanted to do a couple pandemic movies. Um, now, the obvious choice that a lot of my friends were telling me, I'm sure your friends were talking about this too, um, was Outbreak. But mm -hmm. we didn't want to talk about that uh, because of the not one, not two, but three very bad sex boys in that movie. Um, yeah. Top, the top three build actors in that movie are now <clears throat> all in various stages of having been accused currently in court for all sorts of disgusting behavior. Um, we also talked about the very apt contagion. Mm -hmm. That movie is already stellar and honestly a little yeah. too harrowing for what's going on these days. So we ended on this movie as one of our movies because we thought people could use a laugh and boy, yeah. did this deliver. So if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Uh, I know you have nothing to do, so, you know, welcome to Rebooted. Uh, I'm Brian Flynn with me now separately, unfortunately, uh, uh, recording this safely in our own quarantine rooms uh, is Kenna Trent. Kenna, how are you? How are you doing in your in your home? Thank you for the homemade goods that I was delivered yesterday. <laughs> That is what I have to offer to people. I'm doing great. I'm baking a lot. Um, I've completed two puzzles and watched, I think, three whole seasons of television so far. <laughs> Speaking of television, uh, we usually take this time in the podcast to talk about reboot news, but Hollywood, for all intents and purposes, has shut down for the spring season. Um, everyone's hoping to kind of pick back up in the summer. We'll see if that happens. Um, so we don't really have a lot of news. The, the only thing we really have to talk about is the phenomenon that is the Tiger King that has swept America and the world, really, for the last couple of yeah. weeks. It's not every day that a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. There are more captive tigers in the U.S. than there are in the wild throughout the world. Animal people are nuts, man. They're all crazy. Sure, y'all got a story to tell. Um, a welcome distraction, really, in just the lives of horrible big cat owners. Um, but 
obviously everyone's sort of fascination with the show has led to people talking about like what would the live action version of this adaptation be and there was some news before you know the shit hit the fan that um kate mckinnon would be playing the divisive carol baskins of big cat what was it big cat rescue Big Cat Rescue. One of the major, yes, one of the major players in the ever-sprawling landscape that is Tiger King. Um, So why don't we talk about that real quick? I mean, obviously, like, there's nothing else to really talk about, but um, (laughs) how do you think, what do you think about the casting? What do you think about the adaptation coming so soon after this documentary was released? Do you have any ideas on who would play the, the eclectic Joe Exotic? Well, this is interesting because I think everybody was a little shocked to see an adaptation already in the works so soon after their the uh, documentary hit Netflix. It's only been, what, like three weeks? Yeah, I think. Um, but what's interesting is that the show is actually based on the Wondery podcast, Joe Exotic. Um, so they sold the rights to that podcast before it started. And that podcast, I think, came out just before the documentary hit Netflix. I have been listening to it. It does have some insightful information in, uh, in it. I think the casting of Kate McKinnon is great. I saw something online that said that Dax Shepard has never been more primed to <laughs> play a role in his life. And I think I might agree with that. That's actually really good. Yeah, I've heard names like Dax Shepard, David Spade, Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell, everyone. I'm, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to be. Like, I'm sure people saw Thomas Lennon on Stephen Colbert's like at home late show. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think... It, it's not surprising, but it's definitely, um, I wish, it's, I'm, one, I'm one of two minds. I understand the idea that it's like you got to strike while the iron's hot, but on the other hand, it's like, can we please just give this a breath maybe? Maybe a month? Like, we don't. It's also really, like, the circumstances of this are so incredible because truly, I'm not sure this documentary would have taken on, taken off in such a way if we had not been thrown into a circumstance where everybody is at home and everybody is looking for something to make them forget the outside world and what's happening. And so in all honesty, this could have had, this could have really flown under the radar, but for some reason it is the biggest story on the planet right now. And so it is the whole, the way it's unfolding is a little weird. Um, but yeah, like stuff like this, it's not uncommon for this to happen, but I think the way this is happening is a little, is a little weird. That's very true. Um, there's nothing, nothing will make people watch your stuff more than if you lock them into their own homes and say you can't go outside. <laughs> it really is working to their advantage. Netflix has really become the streaming powerhouse in the quarantine. It's like all these movie studios are like, oh, let's release all of our movies. And everyone's like, no, I'm going to watch this gay gun toting uh, polygamist tiger keeper. <laughs> <laughs> like thanks thanks yep. thanks for onward uh but uh <laughs> we got gee thanks more. for releasing frozen 2 like a little yeah. early <clears throat> speaking of what we're watching are you watching anything we're tra- like there's no news so maybe we can keep there the people abreast news. of uh anything new and exciting that you've watched recently um i don't think this is i don't think this is new but what i'm enjoying i watched 
in one weekend, I watched all of Pen15 and all of Sex Education so far. Oh. Um, which I feel like you kind of have to recommend together because there's something a little similar about the shows. They're both comedies, teen or tween focused. But truly, like coming I, of age sex sex stories kind of. Yeah. Like I genuinely cannot recommend sex education enough. Like it starts very bold, but there is just, it is such a like sweet must watch show about like just the most genuine kids. I loved it. I loved it so much. The students at the school need your help and we need their money. I'll deal with the business and things and you can do the therapy. Therapy? Yeah, sex therapy. Like your mom. Wow, sex therapist. This could be awesome. Wait, it could be popular. I watched season one. Season one is very good. Um, I think mm-hmm. a second season is out. Um, I tried getting into Pen15. I was sort of like, I thought it was fine, but I really did enjoy sex education. Um, Pen15 is very specific to younger women. So that might be a thing of like, it's very nostalgic for like, if you were uh, it, anywhere around being a teenager in yeah. like the year 2000. But Speaking of like coming yeah. of age. What are you watching? Uh, well, Dana and I are doing a rewatch of Mad Men and it's very interesting oh. having watched it once already, but like watching it from the perspective of when it comes out and like growing with that show through like 2005 to 2000. 11 I forget what years it came out and then rewatching it in 2020 is so different like um I'm I'm almost ashamed as an audience member for how I reacted in 2005 to Mad Men to how I reacting mm. to it in 2020 like one of my favorite characters is Roger Sterling like just the dry-witted sort of silver fox that kind of comes in steals the scene that guy is horrible like that character is horrible <laughs> And We're like, arresting and prosecuting Roger Sterling. I know. And then, like, I told you, I'll cover Kevin through college. No, it's better this way for him. And if you're not careful, you won't even be a family friend. Joey, I had an experience. I know, Roger. Well, it's not about honor. It's about the fact that we created a human life. We made a baby. Yes. And now it's some other lucky girl's turn. Betty is such a great character in the first three seasons of that show that I was like, I, I'm like floored at how much I have enjoyed watching January Jones in that, in this rewatch. And um, um, who else? It's like Harry Crane, Sal, like all these other characters that like didn't get enough shine in that show. Now I'm like, this show is absolutely about everyone else other than Don. Like, yeah, it's, it's, inc- it's crazy. Um, but speaking of sort of like, yeah, like coming of age sexcapade stuff last night, I watched good boys, which is now on mm. HBO go. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really? so, yeah, because it wasn't because it's about at that age of adolescence where you're not yet a disgusting horn hormone driven teenager. Okay. There's still these like innocent kids but it still played for that more mature humor. And I thought it was, I thought all the kids in that movie were just adorable and I loved it. So. Okay. Okay. That is, that is not a review I expected to hear, but now I, I'm. Me neither. I was maybe, <laughs> maybe it was because I was in desperate need of a laugh that I was an easy get, but I was like, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I love this. This is great. 
Have you taken that it's sort of going around the internet right now, that personality quiz that's supposed to match you with like film and TV characters? I literally just took it like an hour ago. Do you want to know who my number one is? Yes. And I would love to know your like Mad Men thing. My top ones weren't, didn't have a lot of Mad Men in it, but here are mine. So my number one was Damien Lee from Mean Girls, (laughs) like sarcastic gay psychic. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. Ryan. But then my number two was Sam Seaborn from The West Wing. Like these are two very disparate characters. Interesting. My third was Carrie Bradshaw. I really have no idea where I am in this sort of triangle of. Are you? I don't know. And then my fourth was Donna Moss from The West Wing. So I'm either like like a gay debutante in New York City or a Washington (laughs) inside liberal politico. And there's no like. There's no in between. There's no nuance. <laughs> I'm essentially all the personalities from Pod Save America. That's basically who I am. Interesting. My number I, one Mad Men character, because you asked me this, is yes. Salvatore Romano. Okay, that was mine as well with 68%. And honestly, I loved it. I, I'm very happy with that. He's one of the most creative people. I mean, the guy has a personal, he's, you know, it's a, he has a very tough personal life. Yes. Poor Midge. But yeah, I thought, I think he's a great character. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I don't, I've heard some people be like, this sounds like some Cambridge Analytica business, but you don't have to put any personal information in. You literally just take a dumb quiz and it tells you that, uh, it tells you what Matrix character you're most like. So, Who, Who did you get in your top? My top was um, Willow from Buffy, and I am not super familiar with the show, and so I, I, don't, I don't know much about that. But I'm seven. The, my next was the Oracle from The Matrix, um, Whoa. which I thought was kind of interesting. I was also high levels of Bran Stark. So what you're saying is that you're a know-it-all? <laughs> that... <laughs> You just, you're just constantly giving people information they may or may not need at any given time. Sometimes it's wise and sometimes I'm just like staring off into a void speaking in a, in in a very... <laughs> I think that's true. All right. All right. Well, we'll see if that happens with this uh, insane movie that uh, I hope people have seen this movie. Honestly, guys, if you haven't seen The Happening, please pause this and watch it with you know, with, if you're quarantined with people or get on Mm -hmm. the phone with someone and watch like press play at the same time, this movie is meant to be watched with people. It's meant to be, to have plenty of drinks when you watch this movie. It's hilarious. It's terrible, but fun. You will have a good time. You ready to talk about this movie? Yeah, let's do it. Guys, this is our reboot of the happening. The toxin is affecting them. Are those people killing themselves? You were with a private. What do we do? We need to do something. Oh, just let me think. Ah, they're dying. I need a second. They released it? We're not near the road. We can't just stand here as uninvolved observers. I need a second, okay? Just give me a second. We're not going to be one of those assholes on the news who watches a crime happen and not do something. We're not assholes. Just a second. There were children in that group. Elliot, please tell us what to do. I need a second, okay? Why can't anybody give me a goddamn second? I'd be scientific, douchebag. Identify the variables. That's the two groups. Design an experiment. That's what we're freaking Careful observation measurement. That's what I'm trying to do. Interpret the experimental data. Interpret. 
What if it is the plant? Um, okay, so I'll, I'll start this since we just, you've just heard a clip of um, everybody freaking out in a field. At I, Mark Wahlberg, who at, <laughs> gives an incredible performance in this movie. He, uh, here's the thing. This movie starts, I mean, where do we even begin? When we first meet Mark, he's teaching a science class because he's a high school science teacher, naturally, Mark Wahlberg is. And he is screaming uh, unintentionally at his students. He's not screaming, but he's doing that weird Mark Wahlberg like guilt trip of, of uh, making his voice go too high and, and begging them to tell him why the honeybees are disappearing, which is a lot of pressure to put on kids. Look, I don't know if you guys have heard about this article in the New York Times about honeybees vanishing. Well, apparently honeybees are disappearing all over the country. Tens of millions of them just disappearing. There's no bodies, no sign of them. They're just mysteriously gone. It's scary, huh? All right, let's hear some theories about why this might be happening. It's so weird. It's so weird because like, because it's like, so he's got most of his class with him and like, they all seem to be engaged except for one kid who he then kind of like weirdly hits on to like get his attention. <laughs> Your face is perfect. It's symmetrical, but it's not going to be symmetrical. And you're just like, what the fuck is this teaching lesson? What is this tactic? And then from there, really, um, you know, this is probably the second scene in the movie after the the opening kind of spooky release of whatever's mm-hmm. going on occurs. Basically, from then on, from this science class, it goes sideways and down and all around. And you have no, like, it. it is the most unrealistic, horribly acted thing I think I have ever, ever watched. And I guess, like... After this movie came out, M. Night Shyamalan, or maybe before it came out, maybe he's trying to curb some of the like expectations. <clears throat> the director of this movie, M. Night Shyamalan, who we have several occasions on this podcast defended like for a lot of his work that people have... have we know. like M. Night Shyamalan. This movie is not one of those examples. No. This guy was like, I'm trying to make a B movie. I'm making a big, a big budget B movie. And it is terrible terrible um this movie is sandwiched between his two other biggest flops 2006's lady in the water and 2010's the last airbender mm-hmm. so it, it was not a good time for old shamalama ding dong here like it this is sort of where people are thinking that maybe he's we should put him in the trash bin and forget about him here's the thing <clears throat> this is a bad movie I don't think this is a bad idea. <laughs> no, I, I'm letting I, you process this. No, I yeah, I, I I don't think I have dissimilar thoughts to what you just said. Because I'd like to say that the cast is the biggest problem, and it is a big problem. But the script also reads wrong. Th- this and- movie, sorry, just real quick. Did a third year film student write this movie? Uh, like this is this movie is straight up. I almost consider making this a comedy. Like, it is so stupid. But, <laughs> but there's things about it that you're like, these are good ideas just executed so poorly. Well, I watched an interview with Knight where he talked about how he had an idea for a movie and the studio encouraged him to make it 
R rated, which is not his thing. He's a PG-13 guy. And so what he ended up doing was creating this story that kind of allowed for the horror of like people killing themselves to manifest probably in one of the more horrific things he's ever done. Um, and I honestly think that's where this movie's strengths lie. It is in those moments of horror in which like the construction workers falling off the building, I think a great visual, the idea of like them being in one part of the field and like hearing the gunshots in another part of the field, like great, great, like horror moment. Like that is something that like putting yourself in that situation is very scary. Um, even like the, the fun, like scares of, of, um, like the man who sits down in front of the, the like farming equipment and like all of that business, like that stuff is really scary. And that is the stuff that I think was being sort of pushed into the movie. And so I'm just not sure what happened with the story. It would be really interesting to sort of see if there was ever like a documentary made about this director's life of like what's going on in this point. Like, I feel like... I feel like something must be going on. Like his children must be coming of age at some point or like, cause he sort of loses touch at this time. And it, it's kind of interesting to me, but that's a whole other different podcast. Why don't we, um, why don't we talk about our cast? So the happening directed by M night Shyamalan director, famous director, six Sense, unbreakable signs recently of split and glass. Like he's, he's, one of the most well-known directors stars Mark Wahlberg as Elliot Moore, Zoe Deschanel as Alma Moore and John Leguizamo as Julian. Um, we only pick three characters because these are really the only characters we sort of follow through the whole movie. Everyone's sort of, everyone else is kind of like a red shirt. Like we meet them briefly and then they're murdered or they murder each other. And this crazy, weird plant killing horror nightmare. Um, so it's going to be a smaller cast this week, but Killer plants. Killer plants. Um, <laughs> so I kept trying to think about like what this movie is about, and I'm not exactly sure what the fuck the point of it really is, but Shyamalan's films always carry some kind of allegory. Like The Sixth Sense is about loss, signs about faith, split, you know, I guess trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned that Shyamalan sort of said that like, this is supposed to be a B movie, and those are generally about like paranoia, but I never really felt like we got that because it's so poorly acted yeah. that you don't believe any of it and you never really sit in a world where you really believe that you're you're in any danger or like what would happen if this actually happened it's just too comical um, yeah and that's the thing it's a big swing to cast Mark Wahlberg in this movie right and and because I, that's what that's what Knight does in his movies it's an action star doing a turn. It's Mel Gibson. It's Bruce Willis, both very capable actors who do an incredible job. So like in, in signs, which we've done on the pod before you get the through line in a really strong way. Like he and Joaquin Phoenix are able to really build the idea that like he has lost his faith and that it's affecting his whole family. This through line as written is supposed to be about Elliot and Alma's relationship and how there is a lack of trust and there's fear. Um, it does not play. It, it doesn't. really doesn't. Um, it's, it's really weird because like 
it's not like M. Night Shyamalan hasn't done that before. Like, yeah. see Unbreakable. Like, that's sort of exactly what this movie needs, but it doesn't deliver us. I just kept thinking, like, if this movie's supposed to be about paranoia, I've kept feeling like Mark Wahlberg would have been spending the whole movie trying to convince people that nothing is actually happening. But instead, he just is like, he starts believing, like, pretty much every piece of information that he gets, and he's somehow the only one who can solve it because he's a high school science teacher. Just really insane. (laughs) Um. But anyways, that kind of got me thinking, like, can you make a movie like that? Has there ever been a movie where, like, can you make a version of The Happening where nothing is actually happening, like, in a time of peak news saturation and people just sharing, like, clickbaity news Mm -hmm. articles? Could you make, like, a horror movie where the chaos germinates simply from misinformation? A hundred percent. Because I just thought that 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 might be an interesting way to take this. Or if that's a stupid idea, just make the neurotoxin a little more terrifying than people walking backwards. <laughs> like, I was just like, they're just kind of like, jupe, like, like kind of puppet, puppeteering backwards. And I'm like, everyone looks dumb. Like, I wouldn't, I'm not afraid of these things. Here, here, I'm going to pitch a better version of this movie. That's a very bold statement. But at this point, what do we have to lose? Um, because I think a maybe more effective way to play what he's trying to do is that halfway through the movie, they get to uh, Betty Buckley's house. That does not happen because they really only live in that weird space. And it's super weird for, what, 15 minutes of the movie? And yeah. I think maybe a more effective way to build the paranoia is to get them there quicker and then make it sort of a weird like invasion story where all of the sudden, I mean, it, it would play a little like um, Night of the Living Dead where you have like survivors living in a house and they don't really know who to trust. And then ultimately like Ooh, yeah. the outside world kind of um, saves them or like it doesn't yeah like it's it's because you get this like creepy old lady and i think it's supposed to pl- ha- have like a much bigger impact on the story and it really doesn't but if they kind of lived in that space a little longer i think it would be fun to play with the idea of like she is just scared of everything but they know that there is something that could be following them or yeah. whatever um who wants yeah. to go first? Do you want to go first? I'll go first. Okay. I feel pretty good about my pick, and I think he could deliver lines like, Why are you giving me one useless piece of information at a time? What's going on? Hey, why would you just stop? You can't just leave us here. Sir, we lost contact. With whom? Maybe a little more seriously. He Mark, uses Mark Wahlberg. the, cor- <laughs> the correct word usage with this train conductor, and I said... Who does this man think he is? With whom? <laughs> In a time of crisis, you know, you got to make sure your punctuation and your and your conjugation is all is all. I do have a genuine question because I think this might this might be it. I wonder if Mark Wahlberg read like the first five pages of this movie and he was like a terrorist attack in the Northeast. All right, let's go. No and then joke. Carry the rest. <laughs> no joke. I wrote that down. I was like. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for him because he probably thought this was going to be like a big supernatural 9-11 movie. And you watch him perform and it's either he either knows he's out of his depth in this performance and just phones it in or he's really trying. And the things that make him famous and marketable are, marketable are not 
working at all. No. He seems so lost. And there's literally a point in this movie where they're on the train and people are getting like news reports from their like old 2008 like flip phones. And he literally <laughs> stands up and he goes, what's the news? It's like, <laughs> what? Who says that? It was good. It was good. Yes. Um, so I agree with you. I think he totally so- thought that this was like, I'm going <laughs> to, this is going to be my flight, like 571 or whatever that, whatever the movie is. Um, so I think the core of this character, something that's really interesting about him is that he is sort of playing a part, but there almost has to be like a, like he's a, he's a capable guy. People trust him. People believe him, but there is like an, there has to be an immaturity to him and his relationship, I think, to really sell what's happening. Um, which honestly, I don't, I think it just really has to do with the caliber of actor being able to actually sell that maybe like something is off and either you don't trust your wife or she doesn't trust you or you're scared about your future. Like Mark Wahlberg just did not know how to do that. Um, So I picked Anthony Mackie. That's very interesting. Um, I love Anthony Mackie and I'm only saying that (laughs) I won't spoil it. I love Anthony Mackie. I think he's tremendous. Uh-huh. Yes, I see it 100%. Um, the thing about Elliot's relationship being immature, that's kind of interesting. So are you saying that like in your version, they are sort of like their his relationship with Alma. Can you explain what you were talking about? Like when you said that his relationship was immature? Well, I think he is immature in the relationship because they almost get to the point where they're talking about how they don't have kids. And he, I think he, he almost doesn't even say it, but what he's getting at is, well, she wanted to wait until I grew up, essentially. Uh-oh. And so... Is she your kid? No. You got kids? No. How come? You got a problem? No. She wanted to wait. Really? For what? Me to grow- Why are we talking about this? You need to take um, personal responsibility for yourself in a relationship. That'll make a difference. Okay, thank you. It's a thing of like the tension clearly in their relationship is that she just feels unsatisfied with something he is as a person. Um, and going through this experience proves to them both that they're capable of staying together and doing this and having kids and building a family. But whatever happened to them prior to this is plaguing them through the journey. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I see that. I, I thought it was more like he was sort of immature in a way of like, um, like they're they're just like not talking about these issues or something like that. But I, I see what you're saying. I kind of saw it as like in an updated version, Elliot and Alma's relationship probably would be at the end of the line. Like if this didn't happen on this day, the next day she probably would have moved out of the house. Like, so yeah. I, I think I sort of was seeing it a little differently, but I love that pick. I love Anthony Mackey. Um, if you love Anthony Mackey, we're going to talk about him a little more down the line. <laughs> um, but I did not pick him. For okay. this. I picked uh, Diego Luna because there are certain yeah. traits to Elliot that I really enjoy. I like him being, I liked him being sort of like, you know, um, a teacher, a science teacher and someone who I could, who I could think of like, yeah, his background isn't science, but we're not watching this movie because he's the science teacher and he's going to put this all together. 
What yeah. I, I, I think we both agree that a better version of this movie is one where the main characters now kind of have to deal with the hysteria of the outside world while dealing with the chaos of their personal lives. So I'm sort of trying to cast a couple that I would want to watch have like these relationship conversations during this sort of mass hysteria outbreak uh, as they're trying to escape Philadelphia and get to sort of like safer pastures. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, that's who I picked. I'm try- I guess I try- now that I'm looking at my lineup, I'm like, I kind of reacted to the Mark Wahlberg, Zoe Deschanel cast. And I'm like, I'm basically going to pick actors that would be in like A24 movies. Like I'm going to pick very yeah. good, like artsy thespians who could deliver these more nuanced performances than uh, the guy from Transformers 4. Um, <laughs> the much more like psychologically driven version yes. of this movie. I like that. I think what we have both achieved here is a cast that is more for this main character. They're just more capable of, you see them at the end being the solid guy who's like ready to become a dad, ready to take his next steps into the future, but can start from such an internally broken place of like people are warning him about his wife and how she (laughs) looked on their wedding day and he is like oh my gosh like this like truly you're right like if this didn't happen on this day this woman was gonna leave him and that's where we meet him and so to take us on that journey i think we have we have uh chosen two actors who would be much more capable of doing that than unfortunately Mark Wahlberg was. <laughs> okay. Speaking of Alma, I, I think you and I both picked some pretty great Elliots, but I need to talk about Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> yes, you're right. The introduction to that character is fucking nuts. We don't meet her first. No. We meet her when Julian basically fucking trashes her in front yes. of his best friend. He's like, I saw her on your wedding day and she was crying. And by the way, I fucking hate her guts. I'm going to tell you something. You should never tell your best friend. Why is everybody saying that? I saw her on your wedding day. Again with the wedding? What? I walked into a waiting room by mistake and she was crying. She looked up. I saw her face. She wasn't ready to jump in, Elliot. That's not who she is. She's never going to jump in when you need her, man. And so we hate her. When we meet her, we're already like, this, this bitch is shady. Like, and you then it, think something's up. And then you cut to her. You cut to, but here's the thing. You cut, I don't, I don't mind that kind of character. But then we cut to Zoe Deschanel and she's complete, it's, she, oh my, she's so subtle in this performance. She's so subtle. It's like, she's sitting there, she's getting a call from her like the guy she's having an affair with. And she literally looks like she's having a stroke. She's like, quirky zany. I'm like, God damn it. Zoe Deschanel. This is like three years before new girl. And I was just like this, she's just playing Jess from new girl in an, in a disaster movie. And it's horrible. Yes. She has not found her niche yet. No. And unfortunately this is not where she lives. (laughs) And Ultimately, I think, and this sometimes happens, they did, clearly did not do a chemistry read with these two because there is no chemistry. And that 
I think leads us to believe even more that something is wrong from the start and nothing is going to fix it. I think that's the biggest thing is throughout this movie, I'm not like fighting for them in my heart. Like you guys need to stick it out. You guys need to do this, like raise this girl together. I'm like, no, I mean, maybe you guys should break up because this, this clearly is not working. Maybe when the train stops, you guys should go your separate ways. I was actually, I wrote this down for the Julian section, but like, wouldn't this movie have been so much better if Elliot and Julian were just like, let's go dog. Like, it's just the three of us. We'll take Jess. We'll get out of here. And Alma can go fuck off. And like, we don't care about this lady. Like, get out of here. Um, I agree that in this version of the movie, that would be great. But I do want us to like Alma more. Okay. Well, let's talk about her because I have a couple issues with Alma. What the fuck is this? is this affair? What is this hand-holding bullshit? She's like, all we did is eat tiramisu. Like, what? Hey, it's me. I'm on a train. I just want to say something, okay? You've got to stop calling me. You're acting like the fatal attraction guy here. I feel like I'm going to take a shower and see your silhouette on the shower curtain. We ate tiramisu together. That is it. I told you that would be it. You have got to chill out. So they build it to be like, I think it's, I, it must, this clearly must have been a, um, a note for the movie because I can imagine when they cut this together and we first meet her audiences were probably like, no, we don't like this woman. And so they might've had to scale back the idea of like, oh, maybe I, they kissed, maybe they had sex to more like, oh, we just did something kind of innocent that might have been an emotional affair because it it sort of tames the idea down to a way where you're like, okay, no, yeah, I definitely like her a little more thinking like she just strayed in a smaller way. But like, I, I almost wish that if it had been an affair, it had just been a full-blown affair. Right, that's more interesting. It's way more interesting for her to tell Elliot that in the middle of this at like, the apex of this like big fight or something and then they can't leave each other because they might die like that you know strength in numbers kind of thing and then it's like it's going to eat away at them if they don't talk about these issues and what here's another thing what is Alma's job in this movie other than to hold Jess's hand she has no fucking responsibility at all like Julian is a father. He has to protect his daughter. Elliot is a science teacher. He's like sort of the, the, the smart one in the room. He'll, he's the kind of one who can piece it together. Alma has no role in this group whatsoever. Yeah. And you're right in that it is way more interesting if the dynamic is that like Alma is the one who maybe like has it together and is like ready to move on with her life and ready to take her life into the next stage. And she sort of feels like Elliot's holding her back. It makes more sense for Elliot to be the one who's there to hold Jess's hand. Yes. That's, that's exactly what I wrote. I was like, maybe this, maybe, you know, the background for this character and I'm going down this road of theme trying to bolster like chaos like the the chaotic world that is like coming for elliot basically mm-hmm. like adulthood is coming for elliot so maybe she's a character that represents that life maybe she's a character maybe she's someone when they met you know they were at the same place but then she outgrew him and she got wrapped up in this like whatever her career is like it doesn't have to be a career that will like help solve whatever is going on but we don't really know what alma does at all she's just like wallpaper yeah. 
<clears throat> so um, they don't I, give her a personality, right? Um, I ended up picking Rooney Mara because I feel like she's a very moody actress. She can play uh, the many facets of this role that you're going to need. Like this is going to be a complicated relationship. Like it's going to have to be an adult relationship between Elliot and Alma. Like, yeah. Did Alma cheat on Elliot? Absolutely. Probably a couple times. Maybe she was going to leave him for this other guy, but now, you know, the world has turned upside down and then they reconnect in some way. Like, you shouldn't be scared of coloring a character with like negative traits. Yeah. Because if you pick a really good actress to like portray that, you will find a humanity in it that will get you to like a really awesome and fun cathartic place and not just Zoe Deschanel staring at a wall for two out for actually a blissful 90 minutes. This movie is really great. Trust me. I know I'm really dogging on it. It's I enjoyable. So much, I had so much fun laughing at these people. <laughs> like, just. It's not like, it's not bad in a way that you're just like, Oh, like it's, it's funny. You will enjoy watching this movie. Trust me, the first words out of Mark Wahlberg's mouth and you're going to be like, ah, okay, yes. There is some moment with Alma. This is not a great Alma um, moment, but when they meet the guy who's like a botanist or he has, he's like, he has like his greenhouse and he's explaining like, hey, I think I have this idea. I think it might be the plants because plants can communicate through toxins and pheromones to each other. Like, and like, why does it happen at parks? Like, why is it doing this? And almost just like, this guy's kooky, crazy. And I, like, at that point, I think people would be like, I would take any sort of information as to why this is happening with, with you know, with a grain of salt, of course. But like, the guy is clearly talking, like he knows something about it. And she's like, oh, this guy, who a kooky. And then like two minutes later, she's like, doing that Zoe Deschanel, like, where am I? Where's my umbrella? I have, I, I'm wearing a fun little sundress at the end of the world. It's like, uh, it drives me nuts. Anyways. I'll say this though. I think I believe Zoe Deschanel at the end of the movie. I don't believe Mark Wahlberg, but I believe her. What, um, what was that moment where he's like, he's talking about his stupid mood ring. You remember our first date? <laughs> So quiet. You bought me the mood ring. It turned purple when you wore it. <laughs> then you said, that means you're in love. Got you to talk, didn't it? Then, then we checked the little paper chart and it turned out that purple meant I was horny. <laughs> you love that. I had no idea. And then Jess is like sitting there. <laughs> and I'm but like, I think uh, cool it down, guys. There's a child with you. <laughs> to his credit, I think that's a really I think that's a really great scene because they're truly at the moment where they think they're gonna die and they're not gonna see each other again. And they're taking that time to sit and talk about when they first met, why they were attracted to each other and what made them like each other. And I think that's a really that's it's it's not well acted, but it is a great, it's a great idea for a scene of like, what is the thing that's going to get to the point where they're like, you know what? I don't care if we're going to die anyway. I'd rather do it with you. We're going out into the world. And I think that's great. And I think the weird part of that scene is that half of it is Mark Wahlberg, who I'm just like, okay. And half of it is Zoe Deschanel, who is like, 
either on the verge of tears or fully crying and like enjoying the reminiscing and you're really believing it. And you're just like, it's so uneven. It's really bad. <laughs> it's very uneven. It's wild. They, these two look like they met the day they started filming <laughs> and then didn't talk as soon as they yelled cut. Um, I, so I picked Rooney Mara. Do you, do you have any thoughts um, on that or do you just want to tell me who you picked? Yeah, I think she's one of those people where it's almost like her persona overtakes her as an actress for me. And I don't know if I... Because part of me almost wants these actors to understand the sort of comedy that is inherently happening in the movie. And I don't think for her it's going to... Even though, I mean, I was literally watching The Social Network yesterday and, and enjoying the sort of opening scene we get with her, like telling Jesse Eisenberg exactly how she feels and kind of being the charming one in that scene that you're rooting for. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't really know if she's that same actress anymore, but that might just be personal bias. I feel like, yeah. All right. Who'd you pick? Um, so I picked who honestly I feel like is just the uh, Zoe Deschanel upgrade that I couldn't stop <laughs> thinking of. <laughs> in the middle of the movie, like all the way through, I was like, who is the person I would rather see doing this? And that person was Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Ooh, yeah. I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, that's a very good pick. She, she, I see what you're saying. Like the upgrade, it's like, let's take, let's take an actress who is more the film version of Zoe Deschanel's like TV version. But what's interesting about her is that I feel like she has had these sort of smaller parts in 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 like even her being in like Gemini Man it's one of those things where like I don't know I kind of look at that and I'm like what are you doing um did you see uh Swiss Army Man I have not okay well I won't spoil it but she shows up and is like it's 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 a great part of that movie so but she, she can be like that sort of fun quirky self deprecating interesting actress but she can also i think be the more authoritative version of what we what we're like asking the character to be which is to be the one where it's like we know what her job is and somehow it relates to this and she can actually input information and isn't just like screaming at her husband the whole time i know like just to, like how hard is it to just give alma a job just give her a government job you know, like yeah. she works in a set in a congressman's office or senator's office. Like she works on Wall Street. She's she's like a stock market analyst. Like just yeah. give her a job so that we can build this character. It's just it's yeah. insane. All right. That's a great pick. <laughs> I like uh, Mary Elizabeth Woodstead tremendously. Uh, let's move on to Julian, played by John Leguizamo. Obviously the best part of this movie. Obviously. The best actor in this movie. The best part of this movie. He makes the dumbest decision of any character. I don't know why he leaves his daughter. Why would you do that? He's smart enough to know that, like, <clears throat> I guess, like, in this reality that has lived through 9-11, mm -hmm. he would know, get somewhere safe, and then wait for information to disseminate, and then try and find your loved ones. Like, instead, he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to abandon my daughter with you and uh, travel across three states. I'm going to find you, though. Look, I'm, I'm just going to go get her, and I'm going to bring her back, and I'm going to find you guys. I just, I need, I need you to take Jess, okay? She's going to be a lot safer with you. Don't do this to me. I'm doing my best here not to fall down. 
I'm sure the probability of Princeton not being hit is good. Yeah. Yeah, you want me to throw some figures and percentages at you so we both feel better? Please. All right. 62% chance. 62% chance he hasn't even been hit. Oh, you go get her, Jules, okay? Of course, man, of course. Come on, this is an awesome weird event. That's all. We're all going to be fine. I think that's the... I feel like I'm going to start talking about this movie like it's a masterpiece now because the moments with John Leguizamo are so much better than <laughs> everything else. But I, I think that's partially what's interesting about the choice is that he knows he's going to die. Like, deep down, he knows he's not going to find his wife. But I think he feels like he has to do something but he does not want to just like keep trying to get away from this thing when he's when he he knows in the back of his mind that there's a reason his wife's not answering any like right but that means that he has this okay this probably speaks to the bigger issue with this movie that no one is intelligent like <laughs> if he knows that his wife is dead then he needs to first make sure that his daughter is safe like he he would know a parent would know that like I am all my child has right now. Yeah. Like the longer I wait, it, it's 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 like a horrible choice that a parent would have to make. But it's like I either make sure my child is safe, but the longer I do that, the more likely my spouse or my partner is dead. Um, I just don't think he would ever leave. And it's like all these people just seem like they're trying to act spooky. And like, why does the train stop? Like if they had just kept going 30 more miles, you find out at the end of this movie, it's the disease is only contained in New England and the tri-state area. Like if they had just kept training West, they would have survived. But instead they stop because people on the radio stop broadcasting. Yeah, they lost contact with everyone. But they didn't because like, <laughs> because like Chicago is still there and like Texas is still there and California is still there. Like, there are people out there. This movie doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Oh boy. It is. Anyways. I'll say this though. I think I think the thing we can cling to is first of all John Leguizamo's performance because he's just committing to this so much more sincerely. He gets um, it. He gets it. And um I think the movie honestly achieves its its biggest its most um it arrives at its fullest potential in the scene where he dies. Told you you should have watched this movie before you, because now we're just going to ruin it for you. Um, so in this scene where he like leaves his daughter with his friends, um, which he, I just remembered, he also like threatens Alma right before he leaves because he hates this woman so much. I love that moment. I loved, loved, loved that moment. But the thing is, you're so much, you believe, you just believe him so much more. So you're like, yeah, you better get your shit together, Alba. Um, but so he's in the car with these people and they come upon all these like dead bodies and he is desperately trying to just distract the people in the car because he's a good guy and he's telling them this like writ, uh, like math equation and then ultimately like there's a moment where he realizes what's happening and that it's somehow like them being exposed to the outside world is going to kill them. How much would you have if I said I would pay you a penny on the first day and then two pennies on the second day, and then four pennies on the third day and I just kept doubling and I did this for a month. How much money would you have at the end of the month? Ten dollars. Hi, hi, hi. Just keep looking at me. Just keep looking at me. 
Twenty dollars. No, no, keep going, keep going. Thirty. It's thirty. It's thirty dollars. I'm gonna tell you the answer. It's over ten million dollars. And it's super creepy and it's weird. And then we lose this lifeline we had to good talent. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're sad. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, Who did you pick? I picked for my Julian Ben Feldman. I know this person from Mad Men. Yes. Oh yeah. We were just talking about Mad Men. Um, He's currently on Superstore. He was on Silicon Valley, Mad Men, The Mindy Project. He's honestly done a lot of like sort of rom commy business. He was in Cloverfield, As Above, um, So Below. Here's the thing. I decided to watch As Above, So Below last night because it's on Netflix. Ooh. And it was a good idea because I love the movie, but it was also to kind of get some some serious Ben Feldman instead of like comedy Ben Feldman. Silicon Valley, the lawyer in Silicon Valley, Ben Feldman. Um, and I think he's really great. And I think that effectively as the character who is meant to be the supporter of his friend, it's a bros before hoes situation. Like he loves Elliot and so he's like making concessions for Alma even though he doesn't completely trust her and is just desperate to find his wife um yeah I just I thought about it and I was like I feel like you just want a solid guy in there who you you feel for and you believe and you want him to go on this Ill-advised journey. <laughs> it's so stupid. Uh, uh, I agree. Yeah. I think I think Ben Feldman is a great pick. Uh, I love him as an actor. I think this is a this is a correct choice. Um, okay. <laughs> so I'm glad. I'm glad you. Yeah, that's. And I. You know, it's funny. I like. I always. And he always comes up in a lot of casts that I kind of. I try and write down people to like remember them. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of bummed that you that you got to pick him before I did. But I enjoy it. Congrats. Thank you. Not that this podcast is a competition. The closest thing I think that this is is like a golf score, right? Like we both are okay. playing the same course, but one of us is going to shoot lower than the other one. Like it's, it's someone's going to get closer to the hole, I guess. I don't know. I'm putting too much pressure on myself. <laughs> there, is, there is only competition when you decide there's competition. And honestly, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, I kind of spoiled who I picked for this, but I picked Anthony Mackie. Really? Yes, I did. I, I think we both are on this wavelength that Anthony Mackie needs to be in the happening reboot, which yeah. is really funny to me because a lot of people see him as an action star because he's yeah. in all these Marvel movies, but he is such a great actor that he he can give you a performance that is so heartwarming and real. And I just think that this is kind of ironic that we're both like, yeah, Mark Wahlberg sucks. <laughs> he should stay in his lane. But Anthony Mackie, come on in, brother. Like, come on in. You, you, you are definitely uh, the kind of actor this movie needs. 
Well, it's trying to find the magic of like what I was talking about at the top of like, there have been these sort of like much smaller psychological horror movies that have done well with good actors who are like maybe traditionally known as like action people. And so sometimes you can do that. Right. You can't do that with Mark Wahlberg. No, it's, it's, not, it's almost impossible. Okay, let's get to the most important character of this pod. Where does Barry Pepper go? There's no way we didn't pick the same one. That's how sure I am of this. Oh, now I'm scared. Did <laughs> I don't did know. Did we? I, I made him Mrs. Jones or Mr. Jones in this. And I made it Betty Buckley's character, the creepy old okay. person in the in the house. That's I'm assuming, interesting. I'm now thinking you didn't <laughs> the same. I didn't because I saw him as more of a much like he was stunt cast in this version. I see him as the principal who was played principal? by Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you, who's your, okay, so who's your favorite movie cameo? Uh, who's your favorite cameo in this movie? Is it Alan Ruck from Succession, Jeremy Strong from Succession, <laughs> or the guy who plays Dante from Clerks as the Jeep driver? Have you seen Clerks? Ne- I've never seen Clerks. I'm so oh. sorry. Um, you were probably was... born the year Clerks came out. <laughs> <laughs> I, now that I'm realizing that. I, it was definitely Jeremy Strong um, because I think we just know what a good actor he is and how looking back at anyone's career, you will find their private Oster moment. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> um, he's, gr- he's great. He's great. He's so good. And then like, it, it, it gave me a really great sense of like comfort and joy knowing that he has put this in his rear view and has moved on mm-hmm. to like incredible things. Um, also, let's not forget Kristen Connolly, who uh, the main, the oh, main star yeah. of Cabin in the Woods, who I, which I weirdly recently watched, and then this came on, and she's like the first person you see. And this is one of my favorite parts of tr- the trivia that I read is that Kristen Connolly has disowned this film and claims to hate it. She refused to talk about the film when asked about it. Makes sense. I mean, here's the thing. Also, you were such a small part in it. Who cares? <laughs> no, it's like you're. That is like one of those weird Hollywood, like, you don't have to talk about it. Um, let's talk about Mrs. Jones real quick. Um, what an incredible way yes. to introduce a character to just pan over and have a character sitting there the whole time then no one sees her. Like there's a full scene between Elliot and Alma as they approach a house and he's like, I can't see anyone. And then no, it doesn't look like anyone's here. And then the camera pans and this woman is literally sitting there like four feet away from him. She's just like, I, I see you looking at my lemon drink. And you're like, okay. Now is when we insert the confrontation where she is first like, you're here to kill me in my sleep, aren't you? And he's like, what? what? No. No. I hear you whispering. Planning on stealing something. No, ma'am, we're not. Plan on murdering me in my sleep. What? No. But his face is like, yes. <laughs> his face is like, uh, no. Yeah. The yeah. performance. The performance. Is She's just- so, yeah. She's so weird. It's just a weird way to build tension in a character. Like, 
she's just it just seems crazy for crazy's sake like i don't know yeah. why it just it just seems weird but I don't know. She was great at it. She was great for what it was. And then she starts smashing her face into the windows and you're like, this is, this is hilarious. I love this. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Her death is uh, one of the better. That's one why we better. have to get to know these people a little more. Cause then when like, when they die in these dramatic ways, you're just so much more connected to like something big is happening. Right. That makes sense. Um, all right. Big question. Would you remake this movie? No. But I think if you tried, you could do a much better job. But also, let's just move on. <laughs> same answer. Uh, same answer. If whoever decides to make a movie about killer plants, please just hire a very great casting director. Like, please. please. Uh, I feel like with a different cast, maybe this movie could have been salvageable in some some way I don't. I, it's just it's to, it's totally so off that uh, no. Yeah. Let's just forget it. Let's just move on to other things. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the boot. I hope you liked this episode. I hope you check out our past episodes and stick with us next time because we have another great pandemic movie of the times to discuss. Um, Kenna, where can the people find us? You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stop by and leave us a rating and a review. That's the best way to help us out. You can also find us now on Ko-fi, where you can go to make a very small donation to help us keep making this fine podcast. That link is in our description and all over Twitter. Um, Speaking of Twitter, you can also find us on social media at RebootedPod on Twitter and Instagram. That's it. That's it, guys. That's Uh, all we have for you. For now. But we'll see you next time. Yeah. And as long as we're still here. What, in our homes separately? I don't plan on leaving my home for a long time. As long as we're still here on the earth. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, the plants might get us. One can only hope.